Hey, we're in for a treat today. I want to introduce to you, if you haven't met him yet, this is John Drotos. Everybody say hello, John. John's beautiful bride, Sienna's right down here. And, uh, John has, John and Sienna came to our church about, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. Just about. Uh, have been here ever since. John works for the youth ministry. He's our church plant intern. He's a seminary student yes. at uh, Fresno Pacific. Yes, sir. Mine and my wife's alma mater. And uh, I can tell they're still pumping out good, strong, good-looking young men. <laughs> yeah, not me, it's him. Uh, and uh, he's, he, John is going to be the face of a place with our new church plant that will start at the begin, at the end of this year, beginning of next year. A location to be announced later, but I'm excited for John. Uh, someone said once, what do you do with gladiators? And my response was, you put them in the arena and let them fight. So there you go, get to it. Amen, amen. Hey, family, if you brought your Bibles with you or if you have your wonderful phones, which is just as good, you know, uh, I think there's always a benefit of having uh, your actual Bible so you can write in it. Or even better, here's a plug for the app, Flipside app. For those who are also joining us online, feel free to go ahead and grab that app if you don't have it. Or if your Bible is right there on the coffee table, go ahead and grab that as well. I think we're in for a treat, not because I am speaking, but because the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave me a message that, 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 that I think is for not just one person or two people. I think it's for all of us in here, including myself. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to be going on to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. If you don't know necessarily where that's at, that's absolutely okay. Go to the middle of the Bible, just about, and then just keep going this way. You'll see Matthew and so forth, and you'll run into Mark, okay? So Mark, or Mark chapter 10, starting at verse number 17. It says this. I'm reading out of the CSB. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by the demand. He was overwhelmed by the demand. He didn't know what to say, basically. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Verse 23, Jesus looked at him or looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Verse 27, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. (laughs) But not with God. Because all things are possible with God. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to hear what you are saying. Many came in here with many, many things maybe cluttering the mind. There was many voices that were spoken into our lives this week and 
Some were negative, some were positive. But Father, we come here this morning not to simply just hear another one of those voices, but we come to hear from you, Father. Father, we just pray now, would you speak through your word to us? Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grant me the ability, Father, to be able to truly communicate the message you have planted in my heart and convicted me first of? Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you you alone are my rock and my redeemer and my salvation and my joy and my peace and my everything as I've found out. Father, this morning, take glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We've been going, as most know, going through the, the gospel according to Mark. We've had plenty of amazing content come our way the last few weeks, from patient preaching to Pastor Jeff preaching to Pastor Carl, and we're going to get the opportunity to hear from uh, Jeff Copeland as well next week. And I'm just really, really glad to have this opportunity to be able to share with you this morning as well. And also, I want to just make sure I stop intentionally and say, Pastor Carl, we love you. Me and my wife, I'm saying we love you, and I think the church, I can speak for us all. We love you, Pastor Carl. We thank you for all that you do for us in the times we don't even see it. And I would say thank you also for entrusting me with this moment to be able to share God's word with his people. So family, this is what we're going to be looking at right here. I'm going to give you the, basically the, the, the whole thesis, the spark notes for those who have been in college before, right? The cheat sheet right here. This is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Kingdom entrance requires surrender. Kingdom entrance requires surrender. I don't know where you've been to church before, and I'm not sure who you've had conversations with, and I'm not even sure maybe the certain faith backgrounds which you've had engagements with, and I don't know what they said, what it takes in order to follow Jesus, or what is required in order to be a part of his kingdom, but I want to tell you this morning, the only requirement Jesus demands of those who are wanting to follow him and be a part of his kingdom is surrender. Surrender is what is required to enter the kingdom and ultimately to follow Jesus. So let's, let's hop right into it. Verse 17, and he was setting out on a journey and a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We also find this count both in the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke. In Matthew, we find out that he is young. In Luke, we find out that he's a rich young ruler. And that's where we get basically the whole rich young ruler. That's what this, if you see it in your Bible, it's literally tagged rich young ruler. Right? So we see this individual, and something I also want to note out, because it'll make sense as we go along, what we find out from this actual passage is that this actually rich young ruler was not just like another Gentile, so like a, not a part of the Jewish family, right? He actually was someone who was Jewish, uh, a law observer, right? He observed the Torah. Like, so when he asked this question to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I know there are places in the gospel where basically people try to trip Jesus up and ask questions like, hey, Hey Jesus, what if I do this on the Sabbath? Like, is this going to be good or bad? And like, they're basically trying to trap him so they can condemn Jesus. But here we have the interpretation that this man came with true, actual, like not malice in his heart. Like he was genuinely seeking Jesus and saying, Jesus, I am really wondering, how do I inherit eternal life? He was looking for assurance from Jesus. Now, I want to ask you two questions here before we even get started. Just saying, think about this as we make our way through. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Have you ever wondered, Jesus, and it usually looks more so like, 
what must I do to be saved? Or what can I do to hear eternal life? He said, what can I do to go to heaven, right? That's usually kind of the lingo we like to use today. What is required in order to go to heaven? And again, just like I said just two seconds ago, the only requirement, as we'll find out this morning, is that kingdom entrance requires only one thing, surrender. And so here is this man coming up to Jesus with truly looking for the answer to this question that probably has been pondering on his heart from a long, long time. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And something I think is very, very important as we've been talking about the kingdom of God the last few weeks is to make the emphasis on this point right here. There is no eternal life without the kingdom. Now, don't, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you, like, unless you understand fully what the kingdom is all about, then you're not saved. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. When we come and when we begin to put our faith in Jesus, when we make that intentional decision to follow Jesus, to make him the king of our lives, to put him in his rightful place and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you everywhere you go. And wherever you're going to call me, I'm going to follow you. This is the first step. But the thing is, so often, many of us just get tripped up or just stop at this first step. We just say, okay, I've inherited this eternal life. I am now, the church lingo, saved now. I'm going to go to heaven now, and everything is good. All I need to do is kick back and wait for Jesus to come. And so we often, in our spiritual walks, in our lives as Christians, we'll sit here and do this. In our buildings, in our homes, as we watch the ongoing-looking world looking and asking these exact same questions. And we are just, I already have what I need. Why do I need to tell anyone else? But see, if this is the first step, I want us to understand the bigger picture. See, Jesus doesn't just save us in order to be saved for the sake of being saved. Jesus saves us so that way we could truly live into this citizenship as part of his kingdom. So we can truly live as members, a part of this family of God we are now in part of. And as we've learned the last couple weeks, this is not just no normal family with a bunch of dysfunctions. I mean, we are dysfunctional as a church. I, we're the church. We're dysfunctional. We're people. You go into my house, we're dysfunctional. It's okay. We're going to be honest. But what Jesus is talking about, with the power of his Holy Spirit, there is power to do things that is not possible in any other family. That there is an authority given to you that's not given in any other family. That there is eternal life that is not possible apart from any other kingdom. Let me throw this in there real quick. The day your kingdom ends, so the day that your life ends, it ends, right? But the thing is, if we truly have and we have put our faith in Jesus, in this kingdom, this kingdom doesn't end. This kingdom is ongoing. This kingdom, even the day that we shall go to sleep, as Pastor Carl talked about, guess what? We are going to wake up and still be just as part of these members today. So as we'll look about, Jesus is coming, and now he's not just giving invitation for, internal, uh, for, uh, for individual salvation for us to sit back and just like this and kick it. But he is now offering us, yes, the, in, the, the individual salvation, but also saying now, okay, come into my kingdom because I'm ready to use you. I'm ready to do miracle things through you. I'm doing, ready to do powerful, amazing things for you. 
Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands, do not murder, do not commit. And he he goes into that. One thing I have to, and I really don't want to, but I have to, because often misinterpreted from this passage is right there where it says, why do you call me good? This is Jesus saying, asking the man. And he says, no one is good except God. See, oftentimes, and I've heard it over and over and over again, and I've often had conversations with people, and they'll point to this passage and say, see, Jesus is not who you say he is. Jesus is not divine. Jesus is not Emmanuel, God with us. He is none of these things. The only thing that Jesus is, is just kind of just like this another good teacher that God wanted to use on earth. That's all he is. But the thing is, as the Christian community, this is not what we proclaim. We proclaim that Jesus truly is divine, that him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all of the same substance. They're all one and together, but yet uniquely different in the way they act in the world, right? So when Jesus is basically making this declaration, when he responds to this man, what Jesus is saying is that if you insist to call me good, you must also be prepared to call me God. If you insist to call me good, you also must be prepared to call me God. If we want Jesus in our life, we can't just expect to say, I just want your eternal salvation and so I can just be a part of you. No, if we're going to ask Jesus to be a part of our life, we also are including the whole kingdom as well. Jesus here is truly divine. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. Notice the next thing in this passage. The next thing also mentioned is that Jesus says, okay, like you know the commands. You're the dude who's been following these since you were super young. You already know all the answers to these things. And Jesus says, okay, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, don't, or, and honor your father and mother. Do all these things. And then his response is, yeah, Jesus, I have kept these all from my youth. I've done them all since I was young. This is what I was raised in. This is what I was taught. This is what my parents, this is what I went to school for most likely, as if he was a man, especially. I've been doing these things, Jesus. And see, the thing you want you guys to really notice is about these ones right here. The commands that Jesus listed were actually not just like commands like about loving God, right? And, 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 and having a heart toward God and only worshiping God and not turning toward any other idols. What these had to deal with was the man's relationship with other people. It had to do with how his heart was toward other people. They had to do with where is your actual love for these people? And according to the man, he says, hey, I've been following these since I was young. But then Jesus looked at him, and this is the only place actually out of all three accounts where Mark tells us that Jesus loved him, right? Because I think Jesus was getting ready to really actually give an invitation to this man, as we'll see just in a second. But he said, and he loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. See, if I don't want anyone walking away this morning, and the only thing you got from John's message was, oh yeah, so everyone who has money uh, needs to just sell all their possessions, and you need to become poor too, and if you have anything of value in your life, you just go give it to the poor, and like, that's, that's not the point of this message. That's a little part of it, but it's not the full thing. Notice something. Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. What Jesus was really trying to address was not just simply the possessions that this man owned or the things that he had acquired over the years or anything that was in his possession, right? What Jesus was really trying to address when he talked to this man, he said, go give to the poor. He said, you said you followed these since your youth. Now let's see where your heart really is. 
Let's see where your treasure really lies. Have you actually have been transformed by a heart change that comes from following these things? Or is this just another religious duty, another religious check, another thing like going to church, going to Bible study, praying every day? Like, is this just another religious check for you? Or has your heart truly been transformed by this God? Because there's a big difference between religious, religious, like living in a religious sort of system where all you're trying to do is just prove that you're good enough and you meet all the requirements in order to follow God. And then there's a truly a place where you say, Jesus, I have nothing to offer except for my heart. And I, Jesus, there's no way that I can actually enter into your kingdom unless you give me grace and mercy in order to follow after you. And not even just that, in order me to enter into it, I need you to walk with me. Because even if I'm not walking with you, Jesus, I'm not going to be able to make it. And here... The thing that was trying to be addressed was where the man's heart was. What held the man's heart? What was at the throne of this man's heart? Was it Jesus or was it the things of this world? Was it Jesus or his own righteousness? Was it what, the, what Jesus would soon do on the cross? Or was it our own trying to, way of trying to gain God's favor in this world? And Jesus, this is what he's trying to address to him. And this is the point I want to make in this. In order to receive, one must be willing to let go. I was often, because I'm trying to be a good husband, I'll go into the house, uh, coming back from the grocery store, and then here's all these groceries. We just went to Target, Walmart, wherever. I know a lot of people go to Sam's Club. Not Sam's Club. Is it Sam's Club here? Yeah, Sam's Club here. I noticed that. I usually see people from the ranchos in Sam's Club. Uh, <laughs> I saw Pastor Carl, actually. He doesn't even know this. I didn't say this in the last sermon. I saw you at Lowe's, and uh, you didn't say hi to me. So <laughs> uh, you didn't see me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I did see you. But we often notice, though, and I always try to be a good husband. And I try to carry all these groceries into this house, right? Because I'm trying, like, okay, I'm trying to be a good husband. Let me carry all this stuff. And usually there's always one thing that's left over in the car. And usually it's like the jug of milk, or usually it's something like the big old case of water, whatever it is. And I'm over here just trying my best to pick it up, trying my best to maneuver it into my hands, trying my best to be able to grab onto this thing when I have everything else in my hands. And this is the exact same thing what Jesus was trying to address to the man. He says, you have so many other things filling your heart. You have so many other things in your arms. You have so many other ways in which you're interpreting this thing. I'm asking you when we talk about surrender is just to give all that stuff up. Set all those groceries down so you can truly pick up the bread of life, so you can truly pick up the living water, so you can truly pick up the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, be willing to pick up your cross and follow me. This is Mark chapter 8. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel's sake will save it. This seems like such a paradox, because how do we gain by losing? How do we gain by setting stuff aside? But it's exactly what I just talked about right now. When our arms are full, when our hearts are held by other things, when there's other kings at the center of our lives, Jesus has no room to reign in there. And when we talk about surrender, I'm not just talking about like, like, like other idols, so to say, like, right? So whatever, like, like you talked about idol worship and all that stuff before, but I'm not talking about idols, but I'm talking about maybe the fears you have in your life. Maybe it's the trust you have with your kids to God in your life. All of these things 
are things that can hold our hearts captive when Jesus is saying, I just want your heart. I don't want your good works. I don't want your merit. I don't want anything. All I want from you is your heart. And notice something, most of us as Christians, especially those who decided to put their faith in Jesus, usually stop at the denial part. And that's where we begin to get this religious system where all we say is God just wants us to say no to everything. Know this, know that, don't go here, don't go there, don't this, don't this. I mean, our lives turn into like the book of Leviticus, if you ever read that before, just a giant law rule book, just a bunch of no's. But the thing is this, God didn't just say, and Jesus didn't just say here, deny yourself and just stop there. He said, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up my kingdom. Take up my will for your life. Take up my reign for your life. Take up what I have for you. Don't just simply just deny yourself and then just think that's it. Be willing now that you have let the groceries go, that you've set everything down to truly pick up the thing that your heart desires and that your soul is desperately in need of. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you have to be willing to lose it. Our culture, our society, our reels, our Instagram feeds, all this stuff is built around trying to preserve life, trying to keep it as long as we can, trying to make sure we're always in our family and those we love are always in safety and all these things. But I promise you, unless your trust is truly in Jesus today, the only thing that truly will give you full assurance and will truly give you security that you're searching for and truly give you what you're looking for, which is life eternal, is only found when you're willing to let go and receive Jesus. Again, what we also know from this passage is that surrender leads to life. You're looking for life? Jesus. I'll thank God that you're here this morning. For those who are on camera can't see him, but my brother Sean is here this morning. And I thank God, <laughs> you got a little embarrassed, but I thank God he's here because I think for those who have kind of, and I think I can speak for both of us, those who have really screwed up in life and have tried a lot of, done a lot of the things to try to find life and enjoyment, we recognize the day that we found Jesus, we said, this is the life. This is where actually I was searching for the whole time. All those things that I tried, all those even, yeah, stuff that people recommended, only thing that truly was truly true, and I saw it truly actually not just change me, but change those around me because God was transforming me by his word, was Jesus. Surrender leads to life. And this last point right here, Jesus does not ask or he does not promise. Think about that for a second. We often think Jesus asks of us just so he can just like, okay, now I know you're loyal. That's all it is, right? But Jesus says, let's even use this example from this passage we're reading right now. He told the rich young ruler, he said, give your possessions. Does anyone remember what he said after? Okay, what's the one after, right after that? Treasures in heaven. He said, give up what's in your hands and you'll have true treasures. Give up what you think is going to make you secure and give you assurance and I'll give you true security and I'll give you true assurance. I'll give you that hope you're looking for. I'll give you that joy you're looking for. I'll give you that peace that you're in search of. 
all these things, he says, are promises of God. And I want you guys to know, the older I get, the older I get, I know I heard Pastor Carl over here laughing. I know I'm not that old yet, but I feel like I lived an old life. Jesus, the older, older I get, the more I learn how faithful and true God's promises are in my life. When everything else around me begins to just crumble and disappear, I know where I can stand on in those moments when I can't stand on anything else. It's on God and his promises and his words. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful. I can't tell you how many nights that I was almost on the verge of crying or even in tears when I hold on to this promise. And I said, the one who promised is faithful. I know it doesn't look like he's faithful in this moment and it doesn't feel like he's faithful in this moment, but the one who promised is faithful. If you're looking for someone who truly is faithful, if you're truly looking for something that is sure, if you're looking for assurance this morning, I want you to know Jesus has given his promises and they are sure and faithful. Sure and faithful. In verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Notice, again, Jesus is not just talking about people who have lots of money, which is already subjective as it is, especially we live in America, we know that. Jesus noticed that he says the same phrase twice, and the second time he says, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Whether rich, poor, no matter where you're from, whatever neighborhood you grew up in, it's hard for us all to enter the kingdom of God when we try to rely on our own self. And notice one other thing here. It says, children. See, in the gospel, according to Mark, this is the only place that Jesus calls the disciples children. And you know why? Because the section right before it, and this is what the section says, is people were bringing little children to him in order that they might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after them, or, uh, and then taking them in his arms, and he laid hands on them and blessed them. If you don't receive the kingdom of God like one of these little ones, you'll never be able to enter it. You'll never be able to accept it into your life. See, children today are very different, or I should say the perception of children today are very different from the perception of children during the first century. Today, we look at children and we almost, in a sense, idolize them. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. I, I mean, okay. I'm almost contemplating whether to say this because I know I'm getting in trouble. But I, 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 I follow very many new uh, mothers and I'm telling you there's not a day that goes by that I don't see at least one picture of their cute baby. Cute. I already said cute baby, right? And oh my gosh, they're walking now. And oh my gosh, they just spit up for the first time. Like, I mean, it's just like, all right, awesome. But we have this huge value placed on children. But for the people in the first century, they didn't have this huge valley on children. If anything, they almost felt them like they were a hindrance to life. Like they got it in the way until they got to a particular age. And then they're like, finally, like we can use you now for something. Right? I mean, okay. Parents are like, parents are like, yeah, I'm waiting on that day to still come. 
But this is the perception. And children in that society had no value. They had nothing they could necessarily offer to the world. They were had no status or low status as it is. Like they were just like, can you just get out of the way? And we see by the disciples' response here, they said they were bringing the children. The disciples were like, no, Jesus don't got time for this. They were acting in a sense as gatekeepers, determining who could come in and out and who could be in the presence of God. They were like, no, Jesus doing all this porn stuff. Go take them to whoever, Nana over there. Like Jesus has more important things to do than to actually be with those who have no status, who have no value, who can't prove that they have any sort of merit to enter the kingdom of God. All these other people can apparently, but no, they can't. So send them away until they're ready. But the thing is this, y'all. The thing is this, the disciples missed it here. The disciples missed it because also in other places we find in Mark chapter eight or Mark chapter nine, and then also in later on, right after this section of the story we're reading in Mark chapter 10, we see that the disciples truly didn't get it because they were arguing amongst each other saying, who was the greatest in the kingdom? John and James did it in chapter 10. And then the whole disciple crew did it back in chapter nine. And they were arguing amongst each other said, I'm the greatest. No, Peter was like, I'm the greatest. Matthew's like, no, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. They kept saying, oh, no, 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 we're great. And then Jesus comes up to them like, what are you guys talking about? And literally the text tells us like they kept silent. Like they were almost in a sense embarrassed by them even having that conversation. And Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. And then he said, okay, come here. Let me show you something. He brought a child, sat it on the lap. And exactly basically what this says right here in verse 15, it says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never be entered. And this is not just about having like childlike faith. No, this is saying, Jesus, I don't have anything I can bring to you, but guess what? I just want to be in your presence. Jesus, I don't have anything I can offer as righteousness or as right standing, but Jesus, I just want to be here and sit at your feet. Jesus, I have nothing. I don't have status. The world doesn't even value me. The world doesn't want nothing to do with me, but Jesus, will you take me in? And you know what? This is what I love about the gospel. And this is why also along with serving this church, I love get to do that stuff, what I do at Youth for Christ and serving kids in group homes and serving kids who grew up just really similar, just like me as well. Because the people of this world, the ones who have no status, the ones who can't care for themselves, the ones who are vulnerable, the ones who have nothing to offer, this is where Jesus says, I want to build my kingdom through them. Who in your life do you know that God wants to build those kingdoms through? that may be overlooked by everyone else. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at the school you help out at. Maybe for the kids in here, maybe it's in your classroom. Where are the little ones that Jesus says, these are the ones I wanna build my kingdom with. These are the ones that are perfect. They're not trying to prove nothing. All they wanna do is just be with me. And for us as followers of Jesus, this is where it's really important. Because surrender requires adopting the attitude of littleness. The disciples, I love a quote from my New Testament professor, Tim Getter. Uh, I probably will never watch this, but it's okay. Uh, He says this in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark in this passage. He says, the disciples are spending so much time trying to keep the little ones away from Jesus that that time could have been spent actually adopting this attitude of littleness of actually learning from these children, of actually taking on what it truly means to have nothing, bringing it to Jesus and letting him use you however he wants. If we want to be used by God, we need to be willing to surrender whatever it is we think gives us value, gives us greatness, gives us respect, gives us even security, all these different things, and be willing to say, Jesus, 
I'm just here for you. Jesus, I don't have nothing, but I know that's, that's okay because of what you've told me. Again, surrender requires adopting the attitude of littleness. And then ending right here, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Something I really love about the word impossible here that the Greek really points out, it basically talks about how impossible means either to be weak or powerless or lame. Weak, powerless, or lame. And what Jesus reassures his disciples in that moment is that God is neither weak, powerless, or lame. God is not neither weak, powerless, or lame. God has the ability to do what he wants to do with your life. God has the ability to reconcile and to make whole the things that other people or yourself have broken in your life. Jesus says what is impossible for man is possible for God. But the thing is, it all starts with you and I be willing to give our lives to Jesus, to give our fears to Jesus, to give our hearts to Jesus, to be willing to give what is so heavy on us to Jesus, to give what we think is valuable, to give what we think is important in this world, to give our greatness, to give our children, make it really possible, or really, really practical, to give our children to him, that's a hard one. To give our careers to him, that's another hard one. This story, to give our actual possessions and trust him with them, that's difficult. All of these things, Jesus is saying, if you surrender them to me, you will find life. You will find what you're in search of. You will find the hope that you've been looking for. That peace that you're in search of, where you're over here trying to manage and trying to be like, okay, Jesus, like, just stay over there. Like, I, I got this. I'm taking care of my stuff. I just need you to take care of that over there. And I'll call you when I'm ready, when I want you to build my kingdom. When I want you ready to build my kingdom, I'll call you over. But Jesus is saying, this stuff, give it to me. This stuff we're holding so hard on to, give it to me. Guys, you guys know what Jesus ultimately wants and what he ultimately wanted from this man? Again, it wasn't possessions. You know what he wanted? It was his heart through surrender. It was a man's heart, the only thing he wanted. Jesus wasn't looking about how many religious rules he followed. Jesus wasn't looking about how well he's done since his youth. Jesus wasn't looking for his status as the ruler or his title as rich or even <laughs> being a man. Jesus, the only thing he was looking for was this man's heart. And today, family, you know what Jesus is looking for in every single one of us? Is our hearts. That's all he wants. I'm reminded in this moment, something patient used a few weeks ago, comes out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse one. And it talks about, hey, basically, I'll, I'll give a little summary of it. And it says, if you have no money, come and eat. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. 
So another paradox, doesn't make no sense. How does someone go and eat and buy food when you have no money? Oh, because that is the good news, family. It's because Jesus is not looking for the things that you have to offer. Jesus is not looking for what you can give him. Jesus is not even looking for a sacrifice. The only sacrifice he's looking is for you to be able to surrender your life to him. So I want to ask you this morning, what things are you willing or have you not laid down at Jesus' feet? What things in this moment can you surrender over to God? Trust about an upcoming event. Trust that your kids who have been going crazy and going over this way and doing all this stuff, and you've been praying for a long time that God still has their hand on them. Trust that your job, that you're worried about, about something in it, that God has his hand on it, and that he's in control. Family, there is liberation in surrender. There is freedom in surrender to be able to give it to God and to be able to simply take up the life that we're all in search of. Family, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to hear what you are speaking to the church. We pray, Lord, that your word would grow deep, deep roots in us, Father, and that we would continue to return to this well that now lives within us, you tell us, as we put our faith in you. We would continue to be refreshed. We would continue to be fed. We would continue to trust you with everything that overwhelms us in this world. Father, what you wanted from this man was not his possessions. What you wanted from this man was his heart. You wanted to be king of his life. You wanted your kingdom to rule and reign in his life. Father, that's our prayer for us to this morning as well. Would you reign in our lives with the things that are, we are scared to give to you, Father? Would we give them to you this morning? Father, the things that we have very much fearful of handing over into your authority and handing over to your kingdom, would we be willing to do that? Father, thank you. Thank you that we have a God that doesn't require money of us or any sort of requirements of goodness or righteousness except for the one that Jesus paid on the cross and gave us to us. So, Father, help us now. Help us this week. Help us the rest of the day to give you what is rightfully yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.